you're going to mess up on that first purchase as well. The first couple of purchases are going to be your biggest learning curve and you need to really give yourself grace through that and educate yourself, but you also have to move forward. I see it all the time with buyers. They're so stuck in the spreadsheets and they still haven't bought anything with me, but they've been looking at stuff for months and I'm just like, okay, at some point you do need to actually pull the trigger. You're going to learn a lot in your spreadsheets, but you're also going to learn a lot once you get that property. So I guess it's a fine line of analysis and then also action. So you need to do both of those things. Even if you fail, you need to buy that first property and you need to buy that second property. You're going to get better every single time. I promise you. Everybody want to get the bag, but y'all really know what it's going to take. Trying to figure out how to start now. Blue Jill's about to show you the way. Because we're top finders and I'm upsizing and anything it takes to get real estate. We've been grinding all day, finding ways to get paid. Better hop on this wave because we're dropping Blue Jill's. JB dropping blue gems, AG dropping blue gems, new podcast, baby, tune in, we in this thing dropping blue gems. Let's go. Another episode of Blue Gems Podcast with the special guest, Julie Gates. Wow. We've heard a lot about you since we initially met like a few weeks ago. Your story has been incredibly impressive. So for the listeners that haven't heard your name before, how about you give us a brief introduction? Yes, absolutely. I am very proud. I met you through Ziana McIntyre, who is one of my favorite people in the world. She is an OG in this business. And I owe her a lot of credit, actually. She kind of sparked me onto furniture rentals many years ago. So yeah, no, I've been doing this a long time. Um, I live in Savannah, Georgia. I've been a real estate investor here since 2004. So I bought a lot of property before the bubble popped. I managed to hang onto the property. Once it did pop, I watched a lot of friends move in with their parents. And then once it went way back down, we were able to start buying again. So I, I'm one of the rare people that you talk to in real estate investing that has been going through several cycles. So I am proud of that. Um, but yeah, I live in Savannah, Georgia. Like I said, I've been investing a long time. I ended up starting a property management company just for my own rentals back in the day. Had no intention of uh, managing for anyone else. Named it after a squirrel because I do things that entertain me. I never really worry about what anyone else thinks about it. And I started Sid was here. And then I started managing for other people. And now that's really my biggest focus is property management for others with furnished rentals. And then now I'm an agent. So I take uh, people in Savannah, Georgia through the sale. I manage their property. Like we're kind of a long-term relationship kind of a company, which I just... I love. I really enjoy... Um, getting to know people and helping them grow their portfolios and also managing it. And um, I love technology. That's another thing I think that really drew me into the short-term rentals was the tech space. So I'm kind of a unique bird, but I, I don't know. I do a lot. I can talk about anything. I love that intro. And yeah, Ziana is incredible. So really appreciate the introduction. So let's go back to 2004. And you know, you are kind of uncommon to have gone through that. So what was the biggest lesson um, that you've learned through 2004? And how has it benefited your real estate investing journey now? Well, that's a great question. A couple of things, you know, you can buy at the height of the market and buy at 7.8% APR, and you can still cash flow. And I did all of those things. I have to say, though, my husband and I, we still are. We always have been and we still are. Again, I'm a 
I'm unique and I'm proud to be unique and I have no problem saying I'm unique. There are a lot of people that want to be financed to the hilt because they're getting the highest return on cash or, or cash on cash return or however you want to say that. And that's fine. But I am not that kind of an investor. I am very conservative uh, with debt. I've always been a little scared of it. My parents and my husband's parents as well raised with any money whatsoever, but our parents did not overspend. So we were always raised to be very conservative and we still are. So we did buy at the height of the market. We did buy at very high interest rates, which that was the going rate at the time was 7.8%. We started in commercial as well. First, Our first purchase was a multifamily and then commercial. We bought several commercial properties. Because we were careful, You know, we weren't over-leveraged. We were leveraged, but we were not over-leveraged. That's really when things went back down. That's what allowed us to get through that okay. Uh, we didn't lose anything. And I'm very proud to say that. And the back then, you understand lending, lending was very different. You could be 110% leveraged. They were offering... When we bought our first multifamily, they offered us 110% financing. We didn't take it. We did 95% financing, if you can believe that. But that was a 80% first and then a 15% second mortgage, which had to be paid back in, in uh, I believe it was three years. It was two to three years. I think it was three. And they had ninja loans, you know, no income, no job, which we had income and jobs. But I'm just saying, you know, the lending was just very different. So we did a 95% loan to value, 5% in cash. And then, but most people were doing the 105 to 110%. And properties were going up so quickly at the time. And it does remind me of right now that banks were very happy to offer 110% financing because they knew the property was going to be worth that amount or higher within a few months. So it was very easy to get financing. But again, we were pretty conservative. We did buy two commercial buildings within like probably three months of each other. That was painful. That was really probably the most difficult thing. And so getting both of those into service and everything. But luckily, we had everything stabilized by the time things crashed. Between 07 and 09, things really went down and we bought most of our stuff between 04 and 06. We did buy an additional property in 09. That was probably our last. No, it wasn't. But anyway, mostly commercial property. My husband and I started a business in 05 and we started buying commercial property for him, his business to expand into. So he was his own tenant or at least the primary tenant. And that made a big difference as well because his business kept functioning. Um, so that helped us as well. Did I answer the question? I'm sorry. I get going and I'll be like, wait. <laughs> no, that made a lot of sense and, and definitely appreciate it. So when did you start shifting into short-term rentals? Again, housing used to be very cheap here. And it still is, I guess, relatively. But I, I, again, I'm in Savannah, Georgia. We moved here in 04 and we're still here. My husband was at work one day. This is crazy. And one of his clients said had been on this three-month tour of Europe. And he was like, how in the world did you do three months in Europe? I mean, that is not free. And she said, oh, my mother has 200 rental homes. And, and he said, how did she get 200 rental homes? And he said, oh, she's a, you know, she's a retired teacher and her, her husband was a handyman. Anyway, it was just this incredible story <laughs> of people, you know, very, you know, just regular Joes just collecting real estate, which we had started buying real estate, but we really didn't have a great plan at that point. And so he came home and told me and, and it was like a, a light bulb moment for me. I said, oh, that just completely makes sense. I, I never really had a plan for real estate. We were buying it. We didn't believe in paying rent. We liked to buy it. We wanted to pay it off. You know, we had all these regular Joe plans. Like we were not educated. There was no bigger pockets back then. Okay, so we started buying single family homes because they're so much cheaper to get into than commercial, may I say. I kept running out of money because 
by then lending standards had changed, obviously, and you're going to have to have that 20% down. So at the time, we started buying in our personal names with an 80% down, 80% loan to value, and we'd come up with that 20%. So we saved up. And of course, I had two small children. Like it wasn't, I'm sure you guys are all in the same boat. Like it wasn't like I could just go come up with extra money very easily. So I would buy a couple and then I would run out of cash and then I have to save up and then I would buy a couple more. So it took me a while. And then I heard Ziana McIntyre speak about Airbnb and I was like, what is that? I swear <laughs> I hadn't even heard of it. That's when I started in furnished rentals. And luckily, you know, this is before now things have, are starting to kind of peak with short-term rentals, but I started furnishing properties and that really, I mean, that gave me cash flow very quickly. And I, that allowed me much more quickly using furnished rentals. And I still believe it's a great investment strategy. If you want cash flow, furnished rentals are the way to go. It's cash heavy to get in, but once you get going, it's very doable. And I discovered things, you know, even today when I furnish a house, we have, I'm sure you guys have it there in Florida, rooms to go. And there are other companies, they sell you a couch and it is 800 if you finance it for free for five years or it's 800 if you pay cash. There's no advantage to paying cash for that couch. So I learned very quickly things like that to where I could furnish my rentals with as little money down as possible and then get them cash flow and then I would pay the furniture back off. Actually, hearing Ziana speak really was a game changer. And then I started really being able to accumulate rentals very quickly. So that was such a blessing. So what do you think about the current market today? Having been through all these cycles, I know there's a lot of controversy in the news. I want to get your opinion. Yeah, that's a good question. I pride myself on being weird and I pride myself on being different. And I also pride myself on... And and what goes with that is I don't do things the way everyone else does them because I like a good deal. And so I'm never going to buy anything that everyone else is trying... I don't like to get in bidding wars. And I don't know that I've ever done one. You know, like I'm if if you're looking left, I want to look right. And so I always say I don't buy the hot chick on the corner because everyone wants the hot chick, right? I buy the ugly fat chick. So I'm a nervous. There's still money to be made in short-term rentals, but you just have to be very careful. Just very, you have to buy right. And we're still seeing dips and and highs and lows. So um I'm an agent myself. I sell and help people buy and sell short-term rentals all the time. And my encouragement is if that's what you want, you've got to keep in mind that the sales price really matters. And we're still able to get values on licensed short-term rentals. It's still possible. And the better your cash situation is, the better deal you're going to get. And if you have cash, you're going to get a much better deal than if you have to use financing. If you have to use financing and you're doing like a 3% down FHA, your choices are so limited. And it's going to be much harder for you to get a good deal. In fact, I have an investor here in Savannah. He he's actually local. Most most of my buyers are out of state, but he's local and he's bought a lot of properties through me. And then I, I manage them. So he had uh, I about fell out of my chair because he called me one day. He said, "Julie, full price offer on this address." And I said, "Full price offer? Like I don't even like that term. That that upsets me. I'm an investor, right? I like a good deal." I said, like, "What are you talking about? I've never heard you say these words in my life. Like this guy is." just like me, very cheap. You know, I say that as a compliment. This house went for sale for $90,000. And boy, we went in hard. We tapped out at 123. We did an escalation clause. This was not a short-term rental. I'm just giving you the example. But he called me this morning. We checked the final sales price, 163. They had bid it all the way up into the 170s with financing and they chose the cash offer, which was almost $20,000 less. 
that's a big lesson that those are the best deals. Again, the market changes every second. But what I'm seeing right now is yes, you can still get the best deal on you know a purchase. But if you have cash, you're going to do a lot better than those with financing. So if you are dependent on financing, you're going to have to get creative and look in a different spot than where everyone else is looking because everyone's buying the hot chick on the corner. So if you are limited in other areas, you need to be looking under a different uh, box, if that makes sense. That's my best advice for any real estate investor. That's amazing. So you're predominantly in Savannah. Is all of your portfolio in Savannah? And then also, what does your portfolio look like? How many doors are you at? Are you still focused on commercial? Or are you just doing furnished uh, rentals? What's that look like? We call this the low country. Uh, it's right. It's coastal Georgia. So my entire, most of my portfolio is in coastal Georgia. We do have one up near Hilton Head. It's a commercial property, uh, but it's mainly single family and small multis. I do have some commercial property. And then I also uh, purchased w- along with a partner, a hotel, a small boutique hotel. And that is actually out in Balsam Lake, Wisconsin. So that has been a, an incredible learning curve. It's been hard, very hard. I thought, you know, with my background in furniture, Oh yeah, I can just go right into a hotel, and I realized I'm really like this is a whole different animal. So that was cool. I'm trying to be very diversified, but most of my portfolio is in the same region. Gotcha. Do you mind sharing your door count, or how's that look? It's around sixty-eight, maybe somewhere in there. I'm sorry, I have some lots that we're about to start building out. I just have to figure that out. I'm so sorry. But it's a mix of long-term rentals and then fully furnished rentals. I do a lot. I have some short-term rentals in the Savannah area, but I also love um, the long... I call it a long short. It's 30 days or more. And years ago, back in 2017, with my short-term rentals, I started seeing people ask to stay longer. So I actually went and purchased a lot of properties in areas of Savannah where you can't get a short-term rental certificate. And those have done very well. Um, COVID hit and I already had the inventory. And it was incredibly, it was huge for us. You know, everyone wanted to, you know, get out of the city and come to a smaller area and we were ready for them. So I was actually featured in Ziana's book about medium term rentals. She had two sections. One was on Savannah in specific. I do a lot with the movie industry. I have a lot of furnished rentals, but some of them are short term and some of them can only be rented 30 days or more, if that makes sense. It's kind of a mix, but I always buy my properties so that I can rent them as a long-term rental and still cash flow. I, that's very important to me. You know, I'm again, I've seen the cycle and it scared the mess out of me. And so I'm very conservative in my buying. So I've still been able to get good deals even in the highs of the market, but you just have to have cash ready and you have to wait. One of my best things has been lines of credit. So once I get a property paid down pretty well, I will get that equity back in a line of credit. And then you do have cash available. So that's probably my best advice for people trying to get a good deal is find a way to get cash. And you know, one of my employees that works for me, he's newer. He doesn't have a line of credit. He doesn't have a HELOC or anything like that. But he went and found a friend that he's known for many years that wants to invest money. And it's cheaper than hard money, but he now has cash available as well. And you know, there's always a way. Like you just have to be kind of creative. Love that. And then who is your typical avatar running these properties for 30 days or more? It used to be travel nurses. We've seen a real drop off in travel nurses since COVID. Well, of course, after COVID, they were making tons of money. But then since then, you know, they've really cut back on what they're paying them. And so we we are seeing a lot less travel nurses. We do get some travel nurses. You know, hospitals will always need staffing, but I would not, you know, furnish a house just based on that. But in Savannah, we have the movie industry. There's always a university near, nearby. We have the port. I would 
definitely, if you're in a growth area or even a large city, you know, there's always going to be a reason that people are coming to stay there and they just need it for a few months. The other thing is if you're in an Austin, like Austin, Texas is a great example. Austin, there's people moving to Austin and they're not always able to find a home. You know, so if you have a house that you'll rent month to month and give them a place to stay as they're looking. So any kind of movement in and out, any kind of industry, you're going to probably have a need for that rental. When I first started my management company, I learned very quickly that real estate agents really helped me fill the houses up. You know, they always have clients that, you know, maybe they're going to sell a house before they're ready to leave town. Well, now they have a stressed out client or they have a client that can't find the dream house and they're also stressed out because their kid needs to get in school. So when I can walk into every agent in town, which I did, I was like, hello, I'm Julie. I have all these houses. I said that and they were so thankful. So I became their easy button. That was like my first strategy was honestly real estate agents uh, as well as travel nurses. But I go after all of them. Anyone that I can, I make sure they know who I am, what I'm doing, that we have properties. I'm on the board of tourism for one town here. And then I'm on the tourism council for the city of Savannah. And so you better believe I know, I make sure they know me. So like last year, Sony Pictures came in and they needed 73 houses, you know, for like nine month stays. And I wasn't expecting that. I couldn't handle that level, but they knew to call me because I had gone out so purposely and made sure they knew who I was. Even if you have one or two houses, you can do the same thing. That's how I got started. I had two houses that I wanted to fill. And I really liked when people would stay two or three months. And I just, I beat the pavement. I don't have to do things like everybody else. I didn't rely on social media. I didn't do a single Google ad. I literally knocked on doors, introduced myself, handed them some business cards with my cell phone on it back then. And my business just grew like crazy. And then when other owners came along with their houses, I was able to fill their houses very quickly as well. So my advice is always don't be afraid to work for it. That's really the best thing I can say as far as filling these houses because the, the guests are everywhere. Yeah, I think a lot of people, JB and I are guilty. We think of midterm rentals, we put it up on Airbnb, VRBO, that's kind of all that we do. It sounds like you're doing a lot of direct bookings and you know marketing and building personal relationships. So what is your percentage you know, between the OTAs and then direct on your total you know, booking across the portfolio? We're at about 40% direct. I, we used to be around 60 and I'm trying to move back up. <laughs> but I want to challenge you on that. Don't rely on Airbnb and VRBO. My Anyone I manage for, they're on Airbnb, VRBO, Wimsay, Homes to Go, Google, Flipkey, Expedia. There are so many channels out there. Booking.com, you need to be on all of them to rely on one channel. I have had issues where one channel, we have an issue. Like I stopped getting paid by one. It was just, they thought I was being hacked and they just turned the account off and never turned it back on. So here I have all this money accumulated sitting wow. you know, with an OTA and I had done nothing wrong. But getting that OTA to answer the phone and talk to someone that could actually help me was frankly horrible. So I really encourage you not to rely just on Airbnb and VRBO. Not that they're bad, but you need to be on every possible channel because we don't know what's going to happen with these guys. Someone could go out of business. I mean, you just don't know. So it's always, at the very least, you should have a direct booking website. That's so simple. But I really encourage you to be on as many channels as possible because there are guests that are going to find you through those channels that wouldn't have found you through these others. And there's a lot of competition. And honestly, I think we have a theme going right now on this interview. But if you can outwork your competition, you're going to have a higher occupancy. Okay? That's a fact. I know so many people that are just on Airbnb and I'm just like, okay, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna run circles around you. I am. And that's why I sent you seven midterm rental leads this week. <laughs> because you're gonna outwork me. So yeah, that that's incredible. Are you on the website ALE Solutions or What's that popular one? 
Have you had any success with that one? I don't know how to get on their website. They need to know you exist. That's a fantastic company. There are many other insurance companies. They'll find you. Uh, Ale Solutions is great. You can't set a business around them. I mean, we do get inquiries, but you know they don't always book. My issue with that probably is that a lot of times when you have a family whose house burns and they have a four-bedroom house and they want to stay in a four-bedroom house, and I don't have a ton of those that are 30 days or more. I have a few, but those are more as vacation rentals. And when the owner can make more as a vacation rental, they're going to go that direction. As far as the corporate rentals, if we can say medium term or corporate or long term, long shorts, you get a lot of solo travelers and couples like studio apartments do very well with that strategy. Two bedroom units or one bedroom unit do very well. I've taken a lot that were two bedroom units. I've made one bedroom the office and the other a nice bedroom because I just don't want a lot of people and they do very well. So then when you flip that into an insurance model who's looking for a house with six dogs and three kids, you know, they're not going to fit. So I, I've done some with that company and with insurance, but they are typically looking for larger homes you know, that match the level of where, you know, the tenant or the homeowner lives currently. It just doesn't work as well in my portfolio of homes that I manage, but I try. I, I like that company and others. It's great money. That's the one instance where you'll get me to take a check. We don't take checks typically, but if it's an insurance company, I make an exception very quickly. Love it. So what does your typical week look like? Because JB and I are scared of midterm rentals because of the amount of work and the the effort. So how big is your team and what is your responsibility like day to day? The turn Turnovers are painful. That's one thing a lot of people don't understand. And they'll ask me all the time, well, isn't it cheaper to manage that? And I'm just like, no. <laughs> it's the same amount of work. Uh, honestly, a short-term rental is easier because you have your team in there so many times. It doesn't get damaged or the repair on the damage is so much simpler. Like you go from a loose doorknob to a doorknob that has fallen off or has now cracked the door. I, I'm being dramatic, but I'm just saying when issues get pushed back two or three months versus two or three days, there are a lot smaller issues when you have a short-term rental. And when a guest leaves these long shorts, it tends to be very dirty. Very rarely do I get clean-free uh, guests that stay for two or three months. They will, We leave cleaning supplies and vacuums and mops. Don't get me wrong. They're not going to use them. They they will not be giving much dirtier property. We still tend to have a six-hour time uh, window, which is the same as a short-term rental. And we, we get it done. I mean, I had a guy in a house 11 months and I went ahead and blocked it a couple of days. Thank God. I had dirty curtains, some how he removed a rug, it was just gone. You know, like we just giant client, we threw out all the linens. I mean, the turns are can be very painful. I'll get all the money back. I'm not trying to stress anyone else saying that, but the longer the guest is in the home, the harder the turn is. And the it's just very unlikely that they report damage sometimes. They just kind of tend to be pretty chill about it, which makes them great guests and I appreciate it. But now I have so much more repair work. Anyway, my team is amazing. I guess I have a pretty big team. You understand I run a property management company. So we have about three in our finance department. And then I've got um, a bunch on my what I call my quality control team. And they also do maintenance. We actually handle a lot of the maintenance in-house uh, complimentary because I don't have time to wait on a handyman. The owner doesn't want to pay top dollar to rush them in there. So anything we can do in-house, we handle that. So we actually do quite a bit of maintenance in-house. We have the cleaning team and customer service. We have tried to do seven customer service. So I have a pretty big staff, but there's a high level of customer service. You know, I we have a lot of amazing service providers. I do not like the word discount and I do not like the word refund. So if the guest does report an issue, I want to handle it immediately. And then I don't refund and I don't discount because I didn't know the fridge 
marriage was going to go out. But the fact that I got it fixed within a couple of hours, you can't really say, oh, Julie ruined, you know, all of my, you know, Thanksgiving meal. No, no, no. I got my girl in. I have a bug guy that will rush over on a Sunday if I need him to, you know, if the guest sees one cockroach, if they report that it can be bad, but we try to really handle the issue, reassure the guests. And then ultimately the owner is going to make a lot more money because we're able to solve the issue very quickly. One issue we had, I'm still frustrated about it. I'm really big on just solid furniture, you know, because your home is going to be used pretty hard. I'm sorry, but it is, but it's okay because it's an investment. We don't care, right? This is not our love of our life or anything. And so I had an owner put in a $600 couch and it looked great in photos. I mean, but it came in a box, you know, from Target. And I was like, and they're like, oh no, you know, I'm I'm bleeding all this cash. I had to save on the couch. That sucker broke. Second guest in, the couch broke, and it was like this. It was like a recliner. It was made of particle board. Well, this was during the aftermath of COVID. We could not get a couch quickly. It took two, three weeks. So now we had to refund the current guest because they're, you know, sitting like reclined back on the one couch in the whole house is ruined. And then the next guest came in, the couch is still broken. So they're out the cost of a new couch plus the refunds that we had to give on the guest. And, you know, I hate refunds, but there's times when you need to refund, like the poor people didn't have a couch, right? So anyway, we really try to head those off at the pass if we can. But sometimes there are situations where we can't fix it quickly and it is going to be a money losing situation. So we try to set this homes up very simply, very sturdy so that they don't break. But when they do, we're ready for it. It's a big job, as you guys both know. 100%. I wanted to talk a bit about the in-house maintenance because that's very interesting to us. We're, we're in 13 different markets, so it's a lot more challenging to have in-house maintenance, as you would imagine, because the economies yeah. of scale aren't uh, as, as big as yourself. But still wanted to get an understanding of, of how that works at a high level. Okay. Let's say we have a we have a checkout at 10. We have a check-in at 4. First people in the door at 10.30 at the latest is my cleaning team and they're going to alert us to any maintenance issues and you've got to have a system for that. You need to have a plan like this is what how many photographs we need. This is who needs to be aware of that info. You know, that's step one is a heads up, guys. We've got a broken toilet, for example. And then uh, even if there's no damage, I send what in what I call my quality control team. They go in after the cleaning. So no matter what day the guest checks out, that they, they don't they don't even really know what day is checkout. All they know is check in. So we have check out day and we have check in day. Now, if the cleaning team alerts us to damage, we're gonna get right on it because there's a possibility that house could book that same day. But the quality control goes in the day of check-in between two and four. And if they haven't received a list of issues, which hopefully they haven't, I mean, typically they don't, their job is to walk in the door, turn on lights, set the air conditioner, you know, look for a dead bug right where the guests, you know how they, I don't know how these cockroaches will die right in the entryway <laughs> the day of check-in. It's like crazy. It's, I don't know why. You can pretty much guarantee that. They wipe down the windowsills. Like I, we have it set up to where the check, the cleaning team goes check, day of check-out, uh, quality control. If they aren't taken sooner, they go they have check in and they're going to spend at least an hour at each property, you know, just tightening things. And so they are going to know how to do minor repairs. If we know in advance that there's an issue, the right person's going to go in. Like I have one now where the one I was telling you, the guy was in there 11 months, the towel racks came off of the wall or one towel rack came off. So now we have a couple holes in the sheetrock. Well, my typical quality control girl, Allie, who's wonderful, she doesn't repair sheetrock. So clearly when we found out the damage from the cleaning company, someone else that can do sheetrock repair has already done that. So Allie's still going to go in the day of check-in and recheck everything, but she's not necessarily going to do 
do sheetrock repair, but we can do quite a bit in house. And that's a huge value to our owners. You know, I'm an investor. I try to really manage for other investors. So we want them to make money. We want them to buy more. We want them to place them with us. When you look at how well it goes with the quality control, having that maintenance, even minor repairs and maintenance capabilities is it goes a long way. You don't have to create a ticket and spend $200 every, every little thing. Property owner is going to make a lot more money and you're going to, you know, I'm sure you guys own some yourself as well. So it's just a huge advantage. We are thrilled to announce Blue Gems Management. After building out 24 short-term rental properties of our own, we're now helping other investors buy their time back. With over 300 five-star reviews, we really understand the importance of guest experience. If you're interested in making short-term rentals passive, click the link in the show notes below and someone from our team will contact you soon. Now back to the show. One quick question that I had, I think, you know, the listeners know that the going rate for a long-term rental is probably going to be like 8 to 10%. For short terms, maybe 20 to 25%. What's the going rate for you to manage a midterm rental or, or you know, other management companies that do manage midterm rentals? I charge 25%. And I have to I have to qualify that, right? Because there are some that'll say, oh, 20, it's so much easier. And, and I'll tell them, no, it's not. And guess what else? So I have to provide value, right, to present that. But yeah, yeah, it's because they're saving so much on the repairs and maintenance. You know, your average property manager, to be honest, is going to upcharge everything. That's really where they're getting paid. So you, I, there's someone uh, here. They charge, I believe, a 15% management fee. But you should see the upcharges. I've picked up a few of their owners, and you know, they're getting six to fourteen dollars for one light bulb being changed. Well, I mean, we all know that's not how much one light bulb costs. You know, so they're they might have a lower. And I tell them this is. This is the truth. You may see a lower percentage. You know, it, it's all about watch the hand, watch the hand, right? But I'm doing something over here. So we choose to be very direct and upfront about our fees, which is that we only make money if we earn it for them. And we aren't, if the house sits empty, we're not making a dime. And if the house breaks, we're also not making a dime. So guess what? I really want that house to not break because I, if we call in a plumber, I'm not upcharging that. You know, that's if each plumber charges $200, the homeowner pays $200. Like there's a huge advantage in me not upcharging that bill. So again, if I can do it in-house for free, no problem. And if we have to call in a professional, that's on the owner. And let's say a light bulb blows. Okay, let's see one, two, three, you know, Flower Street needs a new thing of light bulbs. We're going to go buy the light bulbs, but my labor is not going to be charged to the owner. That's again, free. They only pay us for the light bulbs or the air filters, whatever we pick up. They're going to get a Home Depot receipt for that. But the labor is really where the value is. And we have a really fantastic team. We get them discounted lawn services. We get discounted pest control. You know, we get them a lot of discounts as well. But I actually am very proud of our fees. And I know that we've really provided a lot of value, even though 25% is a lot. But when they see what they get and what they're not paying under the table, it's not terrible. Yeah, we're, we're actually structured exactly the same. So we offer a lot of savings to our owners and no upcharges, just very direct and honest. So love that approach. I kind of manage the way I want to be managed for because I used to have property managers, right? Exactly. I, yep. I, and that's what sent me away were all the upcharges. I was like, really? You, you're motivated for the things to break and for them to have, exactly. you know, do repair, you know, like they're motivated for that. Why? Because they make another 20, 30% on the repair. I didn't like it. Because I forget you guys, I'm going to start my own company. I am an investor first. I'm a property manager second. It's a big difference. We say the same thing. <laughs> so it's pretty funny. A lot of listeners are just starting out, you know, haven't gotten their first property yet. What would be 
your biggest piece of advice for them? Watch that sales price. Get educated for sure. I want, if you don't mind, I'd like to share my first single family purchase. Okay. I already had some real estate at that point, but I was like, I'm going to buy a single family home. I did get $10,000 off of the purchase price, which I was proud of, but I overpaid. And I really, I didn't know what I was doing. Again, there was no bigger pockets. I had read a couple of books, but my thought going in was like, oh, well, as long as the rent covers the mortgage, I'm good. And I mean, I was... I obviously messed that one up. You're going to mess up on that first purchase as well. The first couple of purchases are going to be your biggest learning curve. And you need to really give yourself grace through that and just educate yourself. But you also have to move forward. I see it all the time with buyers that they're so stuck in the spreadsheets and they still haven't bought anything with me, but they've been looking at stuff for months. And I'm just like, okay, at some point, you do need to actually pull the trigger because you're you're going to learn a lot in your spreadsheets, but you're also going to learn a lot once you get that property. So I guess it's a fine line of like, analysis, and then also action. So you need to do both of those things. You need to... Even if you fail, you need to buy that first property and you need to buy that second property. You're going to get better every single time. I promise you, even now when I buy things, I'm learning a ton. I did seven evictions in the fall quarter of last year and that was a learning curve. My husband kept saying, get a lawyer. And I said, no, I've got to be good at this. This has to be... I'm a property manager. I can handle this. And I did. And did it take a little bit longer? Absolutely. But I challenged myself and I've learned so much. And I'm really proud of that. So just be aware that, yeah, could I have gotten those tenants evicted in you know three weeks? Probably. Did it take me 7, 12 weeks? Yes. But I valued that learning more than the speed. I wasn't ready to rehab them at the time anyway. So I was like, I have time. I'm going to learn this. So just really don't be afraid to fail because the house that I overpaid for, that first single family, is now... I paid, I think, $149 for it. And it's now worth almost $300,000. It's probably worth $278. And the tenant, I bought it with the tenant tenant inside, she's still there. And and she's a she's a decent tenant. You know, that's the other thing I want to say is that most people are so scared of his existing tenants. But a lot of times you can get the best deal if you take the tenant with the property because a lot of times the homeowner cares about the tenant. If you can come in and maybe you're offering less than the guy next to you, but you're willing to keep the tenant, you're probably going to get a better deal. Those are probably my two best things is to don't be afraid of tenants. You need tenants and they need you and talk to them. Go look at the property, talk to the tenant, get a feel. And that's what I did. I was like, I really like this tenant. And that's kind of what made me buy the house. I thought she was pretty incredible, single mother. I said, I like her. I'll buy her and I'll keep her in there. And that's how I got the 10,000 off, you know, at the time, which I should have made it 20. But anyway, (laughs) that's the other thing. Real estate is so forgiving. If you just hang on to the property for long enough, it's going to be okay. If you're a flipper, which I am not a flipper, don't take my advice. That's a different calculus. I am purely speaking from the buy and hold um, strategy, if if that makes sense. No, it makes complete sense. And then if you had a crystal ball, where do you see the midterm rental market headed into 2024? I truly, truly, truly believe that within the next 10 to 15 years, we're going to have a very good subset of the population that don't own a home. They don't have a lease. I mean, I want to be one of them, quite frankly. I think that as people can work from anywhere, they're going to just slowly start moving out and just using these houses all over the world. I, again, I want to be one of them. You know, if I could just be nomadic and spend two months in Vail and two months in Europe and two months in Asia, like I really think that that's where we're heading because COVID has really changed the landscape. I really believe in the space. It's there's definitely a lot more people in the space, which is great. But I think that's where the population is heading, especially you know with the people that can work from a computer. I really believe in the space, and um, I'm really proud you know to have been doing it for so long. I'm trying to pioneer the technology to go with it. It's it hasn't been a perfect trip, 
But what we really need is the right technology because I still can't get anybody to do the auto billing where they bill the guest into the future on their credit card. I can now do it by hand where I can set up their payments on the first of every month, you know, for nine months. That's the best I can do at this point. But that technology piece, we have got to push on these property management systems to add that for us. So we need some more tech in this space. I've had so many companies promise me to add it and fail. I beg you not to sign on with these promises. I've made that mistake. Once we have that technology in place, Airbnb already has it. You guys probably already know this, but you can book a six-month stay on Airbnb and they'll bill your your card every month. So uh, the property management technology needs to catch up to that. And I tell them that as often as I can. But it's it's tough because they keep looking at everything as a short-term rental, which is the stay should be prepaid before the guest gets inside. Well, not when they're staying six months, you know, like I'll auto build their, I just want to auto build their card. So anyway, I think I digressed. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I have a lot no. of opinions. Yeah, no worries. No worries. All good opinions for sure. And then um, if you could leave the listeners with one last gem, it could be about midterm rentals, it could be about investing, or it could be about life in general. What would you want to leave them? I want to say that I'm really far along in my investing career and I'm staring down, you know, I have a plan for being financially independent and, but I'm not there yet. And my husband and I have been at this almost 20 years. Okay. And right now we are on a giant spending freeze. And what does that mean? It means I'm buying the shoes that I want, even though I can afford them, you know, like, we're still careful with our money. Why? Because we have a plan in mind. And for us to reach that goal, we want to invest every dollar that we can. And I think, I, I, I'm assuming if anyone's listening to this podcast, they're in the same boat. They're in growth mode, right? You, Everyone wants to be buying real estate. And it's very tempting to see shiny objects that you want to buy. And you do work hard. I, trust me, I get it. I, like I, I work really hard myself. And there's times when you say, oh, but I want this. I deserve it. I've earned it. And there is something to be said in celebrating things, but you don't have to spend all of your earnings in order to do that. So I just want to encourage you to just stay vigilant with that because it makes such a difference. It's very easy when things are going very well and you have lots of money coming in. It's very, very easy to spend it. And it's very hard to be disciplined and invest it. But I want to just really encourage you. I have been through it myself where you know, back in 05, 06, my husband and I, we did very well. And we spent way more than we should have. And if we would have invested even a third of that that we spent, we would be in such a different situation. I love the... It's a Dr. Ben Hardy uh, book about the future self. And he says, you know, if you can keep your future self in mind as you're making decisions and not just, oh, forget that guy in the future. I'm just going to do what this guy likes today. It's a very true concept. So I just encourage everyone, you know, just a little bit of uh, deferred gratitude and things like that, where you say, I'm going to invest the money instead of spending it. That makes a big difference for the future. I've seen that for myself and I'm still doing that today. Love that. And then where can people find you? Yes, my, I didn't even say the name that's, I'm the worst self-promoter. My, my property management company is called Sid Was Here. Sid is a squirrel. My son raises uh, baby squirrels and he's wonderful. So you'll see a logo. If you see a squirrel <laughs> on the logo, it's by me. So SidWasHere.com is my property management company. I'm also a real estate agent here in Savannah and I only work with investors. I do not buy or sell Ken and Barbie's dream house. I just don't really care, you know, to argue over the color of cabinets ever. I so I love working with investors. If anyone's looking for an agent or a property manager in Savannah, uh, we are Sid was here 912 on Instagram. And I do quite a bit of posts about property management tips and tricks and investment strategies. I recently sold a property that I bought as a single family home, flipped a commercial. You know, I try to just really talk about my own investing journey as well as things that I see. A lot of times I'll be out showing a house and I'll be like, oh my gosh, like I was in one recently. It was a short-term rental and it had no dressers and I just lifted off. So I did a bunch of posts about that. Like that's, 
you know, it's important to kind of see little things. So I would love if you'd follow me on Instagram. And then uh, my one of my employees and I are working on a podcast about investing in Savannah. It hasn't launched yet. But if you follow Sid was here 912, uh, you will see that. So yeah, anyone interested in investing in general property management or the Savannah, Georgia market, I would love to be a service to you. Julie Gates. Wow. I mean, you can really, really feel the energy and the experience through the last 19 years of you being in this industry. So I think anyone that listens to this, you guys should really be grateful because this wisdom doesn't come easy. So Julie, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's such an, it's a pleasure to meet y'all. Thank you. And I, I look forward to being in touch. And if I can ever be a service to either of you, I just hope you'll reach out. I'm, I'm excited to see what you're doing. I'm watching what y'all are doing too. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you're interested in scaling your short-term rental portfolio and networking with like-minded individuals, we host a short-term rental meetup once a month in downtown Orlando. Click our link below in the show notes to register. See you at the next one. JB dropping blue gems. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby, tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems.